Chris and Beth Bruno are a powerhouse couple, and they bring a whole other level of intentionality to their parenting. Today, they're sharing some of their story and talking about how they've designed transformational rites of passage for their kids that include mountain adventures, self-defense classes, and the value of sacrifice. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Hello there, legendary marriage family. We're Danielle and Justin. Hi-oh. And you're listening to episode 97 of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Whether you've been listening a long time or this is your first time, welcome to the show. Yay! All right, we are approaching 100 episodes of the show. Can you believe it? I can believe it. Yeah. There, there are moments <laughs> where I'm like, oh my gosh, this this has been a lot of work. And our, our it's podcast been so much is, fun. is a centigenarian. Centigen. Isn't that what it's called? I'm, centenarian? I'm not sure. Maybe. <laughs> but anyway, we, so we're celebrating all month long. And uh, at the end of this month, we're going to have our 100th episode. And we have got some really cool stuff planned for that episode and some surprises around it and everything. And so we want you to be a part of the festivities by inviting some of your friends to listen to the show. It's easy. Just pick a favorite episode, hit the little three dots on the side and share it out. You can do it with text or email or Facebook or Twitter or MySpace or Glyphner or whatever else. Wait, 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 wait. What? Don't do MySpace or Glyphner. I don't even think Glyphner is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Glyphner isn't a thing. Is that an app you're working Man, on, honey? Some kid at work told me about that. He must have been <laughs> messing with me. All right, that's it for announcements. Like I said, this is episode 97, and our guests today are authors, counselors, and just a legendary couple. Yeah. Yeah. If you are a parent, you'll remember when you first knew you were going to be a parent. If you're honest, you knew you were elated, of course. And terrified. <laughs> well, yeah. I know I had that, oh, crap moment where uh, just realizing the gravity of, of responsibility, of what molding a little one, a little kid, into a responsible, resilient, wholehearted human being. A little bit. Don't you have that old crap moment every day? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Chris and Beth Bruno, they're really going to talk with us about how they got really intentional um, to mold those little tiny humans yes. into the best adults they could. So let's get to the show. We are so happy to have on the podcast today. Well, first of all, Chris Bruno has been on the show a while back, but he is a counselor, does the restoration project for men and for couples, and he has brought his lovely wife, Beth Bruno, on the show today with him, and they are going to share their couple story. They've been married for 23 years. They have three kiddos that are teenagers. What? And three they, teens. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. We're gonna have to get it. Like I, did, I didn't. I didn't think about that until you said it. Yeah. Yeah. And Fort Collins, Colorado. I feel like all most of our favorite people live in Colorado. We are so glad to have you guys on the show today. They're authors, speakers, counselors. These guys do it all. Um, but we're gonna like draw back the curtain today and see the real story behind the story. Welcome. To show guys hey we're so glad to be here okay so you guys have been married 23 years how congratulations first of all yeah you guys are you guys are what about five years ahead of us something like that yeah i don't know i don't do the math anymore i mean you've been married so long you stop doing the math after a while you've never done the math (laughs) at least i'm better at math than you are (laughs) okay Uh, that's just hurtful i know it is but true all right so how did you guys meet in the first place. Yeah. I'll share the story. Go for it. So we met when I was still in high school. So I should say my best friend in high school was a hopeless romantic. Oh, we and love her. 
she also had grown up coming. I was in Virginia, high school in Virginia, grew up coming out to Colorado to a summer camp. So the summer before my senior year, she brought me with her and we came out and spent a month out in Colorado and stayed in a friend of a friend's house who had a boy, a teen boy that she fell head over heels in love with. So anyway, this is context because that year, my senior year, as I'm trying to figure out where to go to college, um, all of this would come to play. So I was in Virginia, really involved in the ministry of Young Life and also down the street from the University of Virginia. So I was really familiar with all sorts of college campus, you know, ministries. I knew that that was a thing. I knew to look for that in the college that I would choose. I also wanted to get out of Virginia and out of the country and go to a big city. So I was kind of narrowing my focus on schools in Chicago and trying to figure out, do I want to go to a secular campus or a Christian school? I was a, you know, a Christian and knew that that would be important. So anyways, I was looking at Wheaton or Northwestern and I started calling various directors of campus ministries at Northwestern just to get the vibe there on campus and ended up talking to one that I really liked. And so I asked him, do you have a student that I could talk to and just ask a student you know, some more questions. And he said, yeah, I want you to talk to Chris Bruno. <laughs> so oh, the tour guide, the tracking down somehow we, st- we often talk about those years of how did we do anything without the internet and without yes. yeah. cell phones and Facebook. And I don't know how I found him, but I, I think it's funny that you just called up the office to try to get the vibe of it too. Like right now you'd like get online, check out the website, read the reviews, Facebook, all the, you know, you do yeah. all these things, but you know, you just called the registrar's website office. It's like rate your professors and stuff like that oh, too, isn't there? Oh man. It's crazy. Justin's mom was one of my professors. Oh, now there's a story. Yeah. Yeah, totally different landscape back then. Completely. So anyway, somehow I get a hold of him. So I'm finishing my freshman year uh, at my school. And this is back in the day when there aren't cell phones and internet. So there's actually a phone attached to the wall that, you know, has a cord and it rings and I pick up the phone and there is this uh, sweet and curious and bold uh, young woman on the other end. And so we end up talking that day. uh, For like an hour. Yeah, for a long time. And find out that we have a ton of things in common, namely that he's from that small little mountain town I had just spent a month in. What? Yeah. And later we would come to find out that his mom was really good friends with the mother of the house, the mother of the boy that my best friend had fallen in love with. Oh my gosh. So we spent an hour talking on the phone, discovered all that stuff, and then, you know, hung up. And there's no going to cyber stalk each other on Facebook at that point. So it's kind of like that was it. Except that my best friend heard all about this phone call and proceeded to tease me all summer about how I would fall in love with this boy and marry him. And we would both live in Colorado and we would get houses next to each other. And so by the time I show up on campus, I already have these weird butterflies in my stomach because I've been thinking about this guy. You chose to go to that school. I did, yes. Because of this phone call? Oh no, but that's what... It was actually the cheapest option for me. It just ended up being... It put it over the edge. It did. So we met. So like, by the time we met in the fall, her friends and, and Beth had already been married to me for a while. Right. I just had sure. to follow up on the expectation um, when we actually met face-to-face. So we met face-to-face that fall. Were you excited about it too? Did you, did you play out the uh, marriage scenario with the two I, houses? No, next I didn't have any girlfriends fanning that flame. So <laughs> it was, it was I, I had the phone call. It was great. I went and I spent the summer uh, being a leader at a camp and then came back in the fall, but clearly remembered you know, who she was and um, 
I didn't know that she had decided to come to the school. I didn't know she had enrolled. I didn't know that all those plans were happening. So it was a one hour phone call. And then, you know, that process ended for me until she showed up. And then we met uh, that fall of her freshman year, my sophomore year, we started dating and in February and by the next year we were engaged. Wow. wow. Your said, girlfriend was right, Beth. Yeah. And now we're married and now we live in Colorado and all those things. And does she live in Colorado next to you with that boy? No, no, nope. That never worked out for, for them. You know, what keeps going through my mind that you and your girlfriend are from Virginia and you know, Virginia's for lovers. Right. Like, oh my God. That, like that whole, that whole romantic mindset. I was like, that's so perfect. They're from Virginia. Like that's their mindset. It's love. <laughs> it certainly was hers. Wow. I don't know how Virginia got that. Virginia's for lovers. Anybody know about that? The rolling Blue Ridge Mountains. It's just so like soft and lovely. Romantic. Romantic. Yeah. All right. So you guys got married soon after that. Were you out of college? I was. She wasn't. Well, I just finished my junior year and Chris had just finished his senior year, but had not yet technically graduated. So because we were in Chicago, we wanted all of our friends there. We planned our wedding for the end of finals week, but prior to graduation weekend. What? <laughs> so yeah. Wow. So we That's insanity. Did yeah. anybody tell you that was a bad idea? No. One of our groomsmen took a final the morning of our wedding. Stop. Oh, my God. Beth, come yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. Okay. So yeah. here's obviously you guys are a little unconventional. I love it. So I'm wondering, what about a date night? We always go back and forth on this. Like what's something fun that people do on date nights? Cause we kind of get stuck in the like same old, same old, like dinner and a movie kind of a thing. Can you guys remember a really cool date? We dated really well. Mm-hmm. prior to marriage <laughs> what does that mean yeah so one of my favorites was when it was was it my 21st birthday and I was supposed to you know go to a certain intersection and there was a white limo mm. and we got into the limo and there was a box of rolled cookie dough balls and a container a carton of milk mm-hmm. And so we had cookie dough and drank milk and took the limo downtown to downtown Chicago to the pizza place where we first saw each other face to face that freshman week. Oh, wow. I love that was a great day. Yeah. I don't want to say they've gone downhill from there. Hey. <laughs> well, that was, that was a high, pretty high bar. That was, it was. Okay. How about you, Chris? Do you have a favorite one? Obviously, kudos for the limo and the cookie dough balls. That's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's, I think my favorite one was the first one we actually went on when I finally asked you out. And that was, so on campus, the theater department put on all kinds of plays and operas and stuff like that. And they were really cheap to go to. So friend and I asked the girls that we were interested in out. And so we took them uh, out for... Italian food, and then to Cinderella the Opera. That was our first date. And you showed your student ID and got in for free. And I don't think it was for free, but it was it was almost free. <laughs> yeah. So, I love that. I love that. Okay, so let's go to the wedding day because one yeah. of my one of my favorite memories. I'm going to ask you guys, what's one of your favorite memories from your wedding day? Okay. So. Ju- I think this was like a big deal back when we got married was like the unity candle. I don't oh know that gosh. people do this very much anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's a very old tradition. Yeah. But we were, it's like this big symbolic thing about like two becoming one and all yep, this, yep. whatever. Like up on the altar or whatever. And it's like the, the, each of us have a candle. Yeah, and then we have, so these, we're, we're all like, okay, here we go. And, and the, Peggy and Yvonne, who, who were the, the plan, the wedding planners, the, the, the church's wedding planner contact people, were like, "Okay, we're, we've tested everything. Everything is ready because we want you know you don't want the candles to not light or anything." Okay, cool. So yeah, we didn't even think about that. We're in the middle of the ceremony and it's time and it's this 
this moment. beautiful sa- sacred moment and and the candle just, just nothing for like 30 <laughs> seconds we kept trying to get the middle one to light it wouldn't light nope so we no. gave up then and no no, no justin no. justin did the did the right thing he grabbed some random like taper or some um like chunky candle off the altar and slapped it on top of the unity candle <laughs> I don't remember Boom. yeah oh yeah i thought we just dug it out <laughs> no you, you're always very resourceful honey like no we're not saying no to this over around this or is, through we is, find a way this is happening we are unified now yeah <laughs> so here's my favorite wedding day story of ours we were really cheesy yeah totally mm-hmm. love it totally like over the top mm-hmm. and for some reason had it in our minds that the the final song that we would kind of walk down the aisle as husband and wife to would be Stephen Curtis Chapman's The Greatest Adventure, which you have to listen to for, for context. It's a orchestra overture. It's mm-hmm. beautiful, right? But it's on cassette tape. And it starts out with this beautiful, dramatic... Well, it was 23 years ago. That was like the technology, so... so there was no orchestra at our wedding, but mm. we're, we're exiting to this, you know, music that's crescendoing just as we leave the doors, and then it transitions into this really upbeat rock song, which the first line is, saddle up your horses. What's the next one? Right into the that a something? Yeah. Anyway, right. right then is adventure. when our grandmother Save a horse, ride a cowboy? Is that what we're talking about here? What? Save a horse, ride a cowboy? Is no. that no. the song we're talking about? No. You have to that listen to That would have been yeah. totally appropriate. Find it, listen to it because... You're heading out to consummate your marriage. Yes. <laughs> ride a cowboy, baby. Right then, the grandmothers stand up but, and yeah. leave. So just as that <laughs> comes in and the music picks up, our grandmothers stand up to be ushered down the aisle and that is what the rest of the party oh. uh, <laughs> has to exit here. We just didn't think that through. But I thought that there was a next song on the tape. That's <laughs> a hilarious yes. part of our... Who is supposed to push the snap button here? Yes. <laughs> Whose oh job was that? <laughs> so we we gave at our reception. It makes me think of at our reception. We gave a, a one of the video cameras to my nephew. Oh my gosh, we were so cheap. We were like, and um, he's our videographer. He, was, he wanted to go around and like do do things. So, but he got it backwards. Every time he went up to somebody to do it, to record something, he would turn the camera off. <laughs> so the whole tape was the ground. The table staring at somebody's half-eaten Because he chicken. thought it was off, but it was really on. Right, right, right. Oh, that's, that's awful. And then every time we'd go to interview somebody, he'd turn it off. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What do you want to say to Daniel and Justin on their wedding? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> terrible scr- screeching noises as it rubs against his leg as he's walking. I think we have no evidence, except we, we don't have any video of our wedding. It's just pictures no it exists it's just uh i think it's horrible. hilarious how we do all these things oh, yeah day and think you know unity candles and crescendo music and, <laughs> and really at the end of the day you're still married regardless of what happens that day sure yeah. sure right so it, as a as an officiant i've done i've done the big like very uh traditional kinds of weddings i've done the like okay we're in in the park behind the ice cream shop yeah, yeah. behind a strip mall we've done that yeah. Uh, and, and just like, here we go. We're done. There you go. Actually, that one didn't make it. So maybe that should have told us something. That's not on me. <laughs> that's that's on not the, on me. That's on the ice cream shop. Yeah, seriously. That's fault. the strip mall. That's yeah. the strip mall's fault. Yeah. Okay, so what do you guys think is one of the highlights of being married? Because we kind of think about this once in a while. It's like, yeah. what did we think we were getting into when we got married? Or why did we do it? And it's really hard sometimes to come up with an answer of like, what do you think it's, you know, what's going to be good about it? Oh, we're going to have kids and pay the bills and (laughs) sleep together, have a bunch of sex, probably. I don't know. So what do you guys think is for you, you, the Brunos, what do you guys think about uh, the best part of being married? I think 
that so that song that we were talking about in our wedding, The Great Adventure, mm. uh, really has been played out in our lives. And so I think for for me, the best thing has been having someone who's really my best friend to live this adventure with. And just like we talked about, like we're pretty bold and adventurous and go do things. And we just love doing that stuff together. Um, just really being in the same space, traveling the same way, enjoying one another's company, loving the same kinds of foods, like all that kind of stuff. That's been awesome. And to do it with a heart of adventure has been huge. So I love it. Tell us what, tell us a good adventure story for you guys. (laughs) Where do we start? Two years into marriage, we up and left our jobs and went into international ministry and moved overseas. We took a, uh, we went once and then a couple years later, after we had our first child, we went with uh, a one-year-old back overseas, had two more kids overseas. Then where were you overseas? We were in Istanbul. Oh, wow. How did you choose Istanbul? So we got married and started working in Chicago to get out of school debt. And my first job was kind of in the, on the West side in a youth agency. And we were going into um, foster homes, trying to stabilize homes that were about to be disrupted. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of intense. And we had an eclectic uh, group of people, a team doing that. And so a new guy was hired and I was assigned to kind of show him the ropes and he had recently converted to Islam. And so he came in the first day dressed, you know, head to toe in a Muslim robe and he had a prayer blanket and a Quran. And it was my first encounter with Islam and he was an evangelist. So day after day, we're in the car driving around town, you know, to all of these families, homes we're visiting and he is just preaching it to me. And it was, it just fueled an interest, a curiosity in me to learn more and to understand this better. And so we just, one thing led to another and we decided, you know what, we're ready for an adventure. We can do anything for a year. Wow. We had friends who had recently moved to, to Turkey and we thought, let's, let's just go join them for a year and learn more about um, Islam and just kind of come alongside the teeny tiny Turkish church that was in, in the country at the time and just see what it's all about. So that's what we did. We wow. quit, got out of debt, quit our jobs and moved over there. Couldn't even say hello in Turkish when we first got off the plane. Oh my wow. goodness. Well, that is living an adventure, honey. I, uh, our hikes on Saturday mornings have nothing on that. Yikes. <laughs> well, that's what life looks like now. Plenty yeah. of hikes. Yeah. <laughs> well, y'all do live in Colorado. So if you didn't, it would kind of be like spitting in the face of God if you didn't hike. Whoa. That was, that I was think so. I mean, I agree. <laughs> it's just that, you know, like. I will not hike in Colorado. Please. <laughs> Kind of, what that, kind that's of, going to be the soundbite. What this kind episode. of maniac? You're going to get that. a lot of hate mail from that soundbite. No, I won't. Nobody hates me. Yes. <laughs> okay. How about you, Beth? What's your favorite part about um, being married to this guy over there? Yeah, you asked us about date nights and we kind of went back 25 years. But, you know, our date nights now are just long evenings of talking. And I just love our friendship and the fact that we can just talk um, till we're blue in the face about everything. Mm-hmm. I just really, I think that's what's kept us married for, for 23 years is our commitment to talking and talking a lot. Um, so he's, yeah, he's my, you know, I think a lot of men and women find that in their friendships with other women or other men, like just the girlfriend, right? You you can talk to about anything, but for me, it's Chris. That's, that's been such a gift. I think I immediately, I think that's just having conversations that matters what the show is all about. We're like, we're, we're trying to get, give couples stuff fuel for that fire. And like, as you say, like the loving, the conversations, I I think the first question that comes to mind is like, y'all have some training as counselor. Right. Chris, and you're a speaker and, and, and speaker. author. And so, yeah. so like, I, I just, I feel like some couples 
hear that and they go, yeah, but that's like, I don't have that. So what, what would you, what would you offer to, to those couples who are in, in a place where they're just like, I, I don't know how to, don't know how to have a, a conversation like that. I'm point. even thinking of just the setup of like, you know, like you and I would like to walk and talk, mm-hmm. you know, and some people can find it just very intimidating just to even sit across from each other and have a conversation. <laughs> like as weird as that sounds, like it just, it's intimidating yeah. to a lot of couples. We're always asking the question, like, what's the story behind the story? And making sure that we have not just the, you have to have the business conversations, right? Who's picking up Johnny? We're out of milk, like those kinds of things. Those are what um, I think are just the regular everyday business kinds of conversations. But that's, I want to say that's talking. That's not conversation. That's, that's just information exchange. So, but with us, like, we're always trying to say, like, what's going on in the background for you as, as you're recounting what's happening with one of the kids, for example, and we're talking through what's happening for them. It's asking, like, what's the story behind these behaviors? What's the story behind this reaction? Even this last week, there were some things that were happening in the family where, um, we're different ones of us were having different reactions to a, to an event that happened. And just asking, okay, we're not going to talk about that reaction. We're going to talk about what caused the reaction. What's mm-hmm. behind us, behind the scenes, the story behind the story. And, you know, I think most of the times, whatever the issue is that couples come to that is on the table is not really the issue on the table. It's, um, there's something else, right? It's not really about the behaviors or the, uh, the, um, the topic that we think it might be, for example, uh, it's more of how are we reacting? How are we triggered? What's going on inside of us that makes us defensive? What's going on inside of us that makes us distant? What's going on inside of us that makes us um, angry, right? Like we, those are the things that we need to think through. And the minute we can put the, whatever the issue is, the the behavior, the topic that we're, we're talking about aside and really begin to engage one another's hearts. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? There's something, this seems to be, pretty powerful topic like what's going on let's let's put the topic aside and dive into what's going on in your heart i think that's where we can you know really have deeper those deeper conversations uh those curious conversations um about one another rather than about the issue that's on the table we'll get back to our conversation in just a moment but do you ever feel like you are stuck in the roommate zone with your spouse where yes. you're in that space. You're just getting by. We've been there. Um, you you get to this place where you feel isolated and stuck thinking, man, we must be the only couple going through struggles with money, parenting, sex, all that. Well, I assure you, you are not the only couple. No. And we're in it with you together. So come join the legendary couples in our group on Facebook, legendarymarriage.com slash community, and come have the conversations that matter along with us. Now back to our show. Okay, so you guys are parents of three teenagers. Yes, got And you guys have like a very unique perspective because you guys are both passionate about kind of the, I want to say the coming of age of children as they transition into teens and adults. Tell us a little bit about that and how you got passionate about that kind of work. So when I first held my son in the hospital after he was born, I kind of had this moment of wow and oh crap. Like, wow, what an amazing being that has just entered in the world. And uh uh-oh, I've got to... uh, He just made me, he transitioned me from a husband into a father. Now I'm still a husband, but he made me a father in that moment that he was born, my first child. And so this, this, oh crap moment was I've got to father this boy. And I don't know, I don't know how to do that. Um, I don't have really have uh, much perspective on that. I don't have a, a great understanding of that kind of passed down to me. So I've got to figure some stuff out. Thankfully, I had several years to begin to investigate that. And when I began to look at like the future of not just him being a boy, but him becoming a man that I had another oh crap moment of, Mm. I want to make sure that that transition happens well for him and that he is equipped 
with um, the, the mental file folders, the understandings, the categories of manhood that I really want to be sure to instill in him because I was also aware of the categories that culture was going to want to instill in him. And I wasn't necessarily on board with that. So I wanted to make sure that that was happening. And then in some of those deeper conversations with Beth too, like we wanted to be sure that we were very, very intentional about um, those categories we wanted to grow in him. When you look around the world and throughout time, you see so many cultures that have a very thorough kind of rites of passage process where kids, youth transition and know at the end, okay, I have been deemed an adult, a full-fledged member of this community. And so it it looks different in, you know, different cultures, but there's such a deep process that exists that that we see as lacking in our American Mm -hmm. culture. And if there are rites of passages right now that our youth go through, it's things like getting the first cell phone, um, having their first kiss or more, right? Having sex for the first time is a rites of passage for many kids. Um, you know, there's just so much that it, it's just insufficient, we believe, for our youth to really become um, fully who they were designed to be yeah. as adults, full-fledged members of society, ready to launch. I mean, we look at so many kids who are just graduating from college and they're moving back home because they're not ready to launch into the world. And I, we feel like it's because we're failing them as teens. And part of that is that we're not intentionally walking them through this transition and then naming them, you are now a woman. You are now a man. Welcome. Welcome into the company of women. Welcome into the company of men. We deem you ready and worthy. And so that's kind of the big picture behind some of what we've created with our own kids and in the books that we've written. I love that so much. And by the way, tell us about the books that you've written. And then I do want to know about what are some of these rites of passage that we can do as Americans in our culture to transition our teens to adulthood? Yes. So... The book that I wrote is called The Manmaker Project. Uh, Boys are born, men are made. And so it is a very intentional process for fathers to walk their sons through that, uh, you know, those adolescent years and into manhood. And that came first because our oldest is a boy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that came out four years ago. Mm -hmm. And our girls were watching and waiting. I mean, it was not an option that we were not going to do something similar for yeah. them. Okay. And I, I really scoured available resources um, for something similar. I didn't really set out to create my own thing, but I just didn't find something that I really felt was sufficient enough, mm-hmm. especially in my work. I, I work with prevention of human trafficking. So I'm in high schools a lot. I hear what kids are struggling with. I see what Um, especially teen girls are facing in terms of just an overly sexualized culture. And I just knew I needed to to break my girls to get them to see a bigger picture, a bigger story. And so my book was kind of the process of walking our oldest daughter through a similar year. And it's called A Voice Becoming, a year-long mother-daughter journey into passionate purposed living. And I think for both of us, we wanted to create mental file folders for our kids to, you know, to not have this idea of when you turn 13, because we launched it when they both were 12. Mm. So when you turn 13, it's, we don't count you as finished by no means, but we want you to have categories of, of things that we've walked through that you will reference as you continue to grow and develop, as you continue to metabolize experiences that life will throw at you. We want you to be able to filter it through these categories of manhood and womanhood that we've spent a year talking about with you. So for me, for A Voice Becoming, I kind of looked at what are some qualities of women that I see um, true across the world and throughout time. And that are even true and that I can see in my own life that are, would be powerful and natural for me to walk through with my daughter. And so those were women lead, women love, women fight, women sacrifice, and women create. And I kind of divided the year into the, those five categories, mm-hmm. a couple months at a time. I love that. And 
we read books. I, I assigned books um, for her. Her English teacher was like, what? What are you reading now? <laughs> what did your mom assign you this month? Uh, so she was reading about um, somewhere current women or young girls, somewhere historical and had long since passed. Uh, we watched documentaries. We watched movies. We tried to do experiences and have some real tangible um, ways of hanging meaning on those larger concepts. And we, we took a launch trip and a conclusion trip, a legacy trip at the end to really mark beginning and ending of this intentional year. Um, and so the book is kind of a, a, that journey, but it's also meant to inspire women to go their own direction based on their own passions and their own experiences in life and create a similar year, but not necessarily follow a program that I designed. I didn't want to create another program for women to follow. Mm. Yeah, we're we're big believers in recipes, not formulas. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Like you're you're trying to raise a daughter, you're trying to raise a son. Like that, and everybody's different. Yes. Yeah. What are some of the things that you said you'd read books and done some documentaries and things? What are some experiences or some takeaways that she really had from it that you think she'll just always treasure? Hmm. Yeah, so many. Um, I really saw such growth in her that year. Um, she was a seventh grader that year. And, you know, it, it changed her, it matured her for better or worse, right? Like she is now separate from her peers in some ways that are honestly hard because she's, she's different. She's more mature. Um, but such meaningful moments with her. I, you know, our legacy event was a culmination of all that we had done. And I really wanted to achieve a couple different things. I wanted to test her. Like, were you listening all year? Mm. And so there was an element of test and an element of passing, proving herself like ready to enter into the next stage. Mm. I also wanted to bless her and just really, you know, make that transition clear that I'm now deeming you um, ready to, to enter the company of women. And for that daughter, we needed some sort of kind of challenge, physical challenge. Um, that's just how she is and who she is. And so I designed a bike trip, a cycling trip through the Netherlands that would really push us. We biked, I think, 150 miles. Whoa. Whoa. Um, my mom joined us, who was more fit than both of us. Dang, <laughs> go mom. Um, and we were looking, we were in search of strong women who would exhibit those five categories. And I figured a country that had produced Anne Frank and Corey Ten Boom certainly had more to find. And it was so true. In every city, we found examples of strong women throughout time there in the Dutch culture that she could then say, that's an example of women lead and here's how. And so that was kind of part of our test is that we were on a hunt for women like that. And then at the end, you know, just did a kind of a mini ceremony with um, her and my mom and I just, just celebrating a, the conclusion of a strong and meaningful year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it was an incredible marker for us. And even mm-hmm. for my mom, you know, who was 68 at the time and can, could reflect back to her own life and, and know that none of that existed for her. And she didn't do that with me. And she could have had a lot of regret, but instead embraced it as, you know what, I'm still in the process too of becoming, mm-hmm. um, we all are as women, it never concludes, we never finish. And so it was just redemptive for her and me. And it was, mm-hmm. it was beautiful. And there's, you know, the big, the big aspect of that, right, is a big trip, but there were lots of little local trips that happened as well. Just hmm. going to a self-defense class with a friend and, and learning some of that, you know, women fight aspect of how to hold yourself as a woman in conflict or in challenging situations mm-hmm. or going to hear speakers, you know, we're in Fort Collins about an hour away from Denver. So going to hear different speakers, um, you I think know, one and, of the best examples of one of our, the category mm-hmm. women sacrifice I was trying to figure out a meaningful way for her to practice that. And, you know, there were lots of opportunities we could have gone and served, you know, in a community center or 
I don't know, done things, but I just, in the end felt like those aren't as meaningful for her. Those actually are easy. Those would be easy for her to do. Those wouldn't be sacrificial. And at the time she and her sister were both dreaming of, you know, redecorating their room, painting and buying new uh, duvet covers and that sort of a thing. And they had, their dreams were like growing by the day. And we talked with Ella about what would you think if you allowed your sister's room to be done and, and not yours? Cause we can't do both at the same time. And what if you sacrificed your own plans and desires right now for the sake of, of your sisters and really experience that element of sacrificing on for another and so that was the experience. Whoa, that is, uh, I bet you that really hit her. Yeah, yeah. So, it, I mean, that's something that we just was true in our own family. It was completely doable, but it was incredibly meaningful mm-hmm. and intentional. And so, Chris, what were, what were the rites of passage that you did with your boy? Well, for both the women and the men, uh, one of the things that was really important also was that we were never alone as the sole mother and sole father of our own children. That when we look across cultures, that there is a, a greater community of men who are co-fathering the boy, even though they might not be the biological father of the boy. So part of the Manmaker Project in the man year was to gather up men that I wanted to be sure had a voice in who he was becoming as a man. And uh, those were some relatives, those were some friends. uh, And we kind of collectively began to speak into him. So throughout his year, I sent him off to go spend a weekend with each grandfather. I sent him off to go uh, be with my best friend. I sent him off to go be with his uncle, right? And so some of the experiences that he had, then the experiences were crafted around the specific character quality I was wanting him to engage with that man. And I worked with the the other man to help speak into those specific things during that experience. So one, for example, was uh, he went with my best friend on a four-day backpacking trip in the mountains of Colorado, right? And so this is the first time he'd ever been backpacking, but there was an element of courage that I wanted him to have to face and hold, to face some of the fears of being alone with another guy out in the backcountry, uh, to face some of the challenges of the mountains and, and getting to the top of some of the summits and, and all that. And to have courage, uh, he slept in a hammock. Uh, rather than in a tent kind of thing. And so, you know, as a younger boy, that was a significant thing of courage. Yeah. For me. So, so that would be like one experience. He also spent time with his uncle who's in the Navy. Um, and they, his uncle took him out on a boat and then into an airplane and, and they ran, ran up a mountain um, and kind of went caving and stuff like that. And so there's this understanding with the Navy and that backdrop, some of the uh, the aspects of excellent action that I wanted to instill in him that we're going to, we're going to be men of action and we're going to do it excellently. And here's a great example in your uncle of who's engaging that really well in his own life. So let's see how he lives and, and, and garner some of that understanding from him. So, you know, there was some, that was like a weekend experience, but then throughout the couple of months around that topic, we would do the same things. We'd read, we'd talk uh, about movies uh, he's not as much of a reader as our daughter is. And so we did a lot more movies uh, and a lot more conversations around those things. Um, where do we see excellent action happening? Where do we see courage happening? Where do we see integrity happening? So I think the key word is, um, and it, the distinction that we want to make is there's a big difference between giving our children attention and giving them our intention. Uh, attention has to do with giving them our eyes. Like I want to give you my attention, but giving them intention is giving them our hearts and this um, focus of I'm looking towards your future uh, here with some level of intention of who who I want you to become. Attention has to do a lot more with just being right in the here and now. Uh, And that I think any parent can do that in any space, uh, whether it's redecorating a bedroom or going over on a bike trip, right? Like overseas, it's the intentionality that is the marker of making that movement forward for for a child yeah so uh that that piece i think is important for for both boys and girls it's going to look different uh for each and um i need to be the one really to welcome my son into manhood and beth needs to be the one to welcome our daughters into womanhood but we're both working for and on behalf of each other in that process, supporting each other in the midst of that. There's a couple of things that spin up for me. One is my internal cynic goes, wait, these moments, like, are we doing trust falls? And, you know, 
goofy kinds of things. But the, but the fact is those, those catalytic experiences are so important, not only to learning, but just to, to the experience itself being an anchor uh, of the, of the relationships. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love the way you talked about engaging other men in that process. It's, we know it, masculinity is bestowed and it's done in community. And it, it also touches on that, that notion of the lone wolf mm-hmm. that, that is just, it's such a part of our culture and it's such an unhealthy part. Yeah. Well, and it, by gathering up either men around our boys and women around our girls, it offers other voices it also offers other fathers or other mothers, right? Like I know that there are some things in my life I would never talk to my dad about, but I could talk to one of, you know, someone else. And I wanted to not only create the voice uh, in those categories for my son, but I wanted him to have the relationship outside of me to fall back on. But I needed to be sure that as the father, I trusted that other voice. So it was this invitation of other men into, into his life. And so, you know, still holding him throughout his, he's 18 now, he's off at college, right? Um, my best friend still texts him and, and they're still in like this friendship relationship, which is awesome to know that there's another man who's very intentionally pursuing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so tough because like, I'm thinking about this, even for my girls, it, it's tough because um, we don't have, we don't have an abundance of friends, like men in particular, don't have an abundance of friends. And when, when we, when I'm thinking about like the two or three guys that I would want to have a, a voice that I would trust and want at people I, I love and respect and trust and would want to have a voice in, in the parenting of my kids, they're few and far between. Yeah, absolutely. And that I think is, you know, we're talking about 12, 13 year old rite of passage process for our kids. But I think we think that for us to be good parents, we need to start that process of gathering those men, gathering those women long before the, the puberty hits kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Like we are, we are doing our own personal story work. We're doing our own personal like growth. We're developing those friendships and relationships so that there can be a safety net for our children in the future. Um, the number one, uh, kind of variable in our children being able to develop a secure attachment with us is the parents' willingness to dive into and understand their own stories. So as we do that, I think that process is just like you said, we've got to focus on developing brothers before we can be a good father. Um, And I don't want to say it has to be before and after, but it really does help that you have those people in your life before you are faced with those moments, those crises, those issues when the kids are turning 12, 13. So mm-hmm. that's tough. But that's probably one of the most common responses yeah, absolutely. that you especially get from men. Mm-hmm. Who, who would I even get to do that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, does your oldest, you said now he's off at college, does he have any sort of perspective about what the value has been in that you, I mean, Beth, you spoke to the fact that your daughter kind of stands out from her peers. She's more mature. It can, I'm sure often even be painfully so, but also as you develop into an adult, you really see the value in it. I didn't know if any of the kids were able to kind of put that back to you and say, I'm so glad we did this. The girls are far more articulate. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, and quicker to name. And I think that's, they're just more reflective um, than our son. Mm-hmm. But there is a maturity we see in him, mm-hmm. whether or not he articulates the source. Um, yeah. yeah. There's been a couple of things, like it's his fall of his freshman year. So he's just newly out of the home. And um, there's been a couple of things along the way that he's given some feedback to me that just said, you know, not about him, but his surprise that his peers don't have or don't aren't aware of or can't do. And so I think he'll start to realize a little bit more of what we did. Um, he's not as reflective as the girls are and verbal about what that has meant. But I think he'll start to really realize, oh, like, 
other guys are not, don't have these perspectives or other, other freshmen in college are not um, thinking about global issues like I do or about my own self in the world as I do. I'm always very thankful. I mean, nobody has like the perfect parent or the perfect family or the perfect marriage or anything like that. Nor can we be. <laughs> but I'm Justin, I'm always thankful to your dad for how much he's taught you about like, Justin is honestly one of the most resourceful people, like the unity candle, like boom. <laughs> like right. he has, when we were two to three years married, he just had this vision of totally gutting this this nice, cute little house that we bought and ripping off the roof and putting in new bathrooms and all plumbing and electrical and all this. Like when I would look at him as compared to other men, his age, you know, we were like in our early twenties. I I'm pretty sure that he was very standout in the fact that his dad had taught him a lot of things like, you know, he knew how to, you know, change a tire, do everything in the house, you know, like he just knew all these things that I looked around at other men his age and they looked clueless. I I didn't really know all that stuff. (laughs) I made it up. A lot of it, I made it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, that's what or, resourcefulness or is. Or you, knew how, to, out. you yeah. knew how to figure it out. Yeah. 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 Uh, like I want to say, I feel like we, uh, parenting is such a throw people to the wolves or like throw them in the deep end, sink or swim kind of an experience. And so when you find resources like, like what Chris and Beth are, have created with A Voice Becoming and with the Manmaker Project, um, just jump on that because it, it, it's so it's so powerful to bring even the smallest degree of intentionality to things. Like we've seen that time and time again, and our girls are uh, four and six. And so it's, it's just little bits, little moments of intentionality that, that are, that are important. And to have a framework like this with, with these books that you guys have put together. And like Beth said, there's not a whole lot out there for this. So Snatch it up, people. Yeah. You got the chance. They're on Amazon. Get out there. They're, yeah. They've got great reviews. You can get them in paperback and Kindle. Like, go grab it because this is this is important work. I think it's it's the most marriage and parenting is the most important work that we that we get to do in life. So yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna turn a corner a little bit here, you guys, because we're gonna wrap up. We have some lightning round questions for you. Are, you. are you all down for a lightning round? You guys gonna? Absolutely. I wish we had buzzers. The ever important question. Here we go. Justin, give us a lightning round. Like, sec- <laughs> no, I meant like a sexy. This is the lightning round. All right, and now the lightning round. Thank you. Much better. Okay. <laughs> you wanted me to make like a lightning sound, and I was like, this, this I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Lightning doesn't make a sound. <laughs> it's thunder. You're thinking it's like electricity. Of. Here. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay. This is the slowest lightning round ever. Okay. <laughs> Toilet paper. Over or under? Over. Over. Woo! Two you always put it under. No, I don't. Yes, you anymore. do. Oh, boy. We can talk Over. about that later. Toothpaste. Squeeze or roll? Squeeze. Um, squeeze at first, then you roll. Oh, okay. All right. right. Mixing it up. All right. Sexy time. Lights on or off? Off. Okay. Favorite meal? Moroccan chicken. Moroccan chicken. Oh, there we go. Same. Pet peeve. Pet peeve in life or pet peeve about each other? (laughs) Oh, either. Okay. Beth is always like scratching. Scratching <laughs> somewhere on. You think of a good monkey, monkey on mom her, on her arms or legs. So that's kind of a pet peeve. <laughs> it is Colorado. It's very dry. It's very dry. I will give her that. But then our son. This is not. This is one of his pet peeves. He can't stand bar soap or lotion, and it make it gives him the like EBGB shiver kind of thingies oh. um, when he hears lotion. So she scratches, gives me the EBGBs, then she puts lotion on, gives him the EBGBs. <laughs> <laughs> She's giving you the evil eye with the smile behind it, Chris. I, okay, my pet peeve is when... She's like, gloves are off now. I'm ready. Okay, when you call the dog baby. Call the dog baby. Yeah, I okay. think that's weird. Yeah. It's not your baby. 
Yeah. All Fly right, baby. moving right along. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here's the last one for the lightning round. All right. Where did you have your first kiss? My dorm room. Oh, oh. the dorm room. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh, I love it. Did, was that the guys of like come over and let's study together? Come check out my blacklight poster. Oh no, there's a whole big story to that. Yeah, we're, not, <laughs> we're not going into that. Oh, oh, more for next one. time, folks. Yeah, yeah. Lightning round over. <laughs> I love it. One last thing. What do y'all think it takes to build a legendary marriage? Um, I would say patience and kindness. Mm. We often run into these conversations and various things in parenting without kindness. But I think kindness is really the ultimate weapon against despair. Hmm. And so as uh, kindness is really the, the core, I think. Yeah. yeah. We need to put that on a coffee mug. I know, for real. I was just thinking of, good. I was like echoing myself in my head. Go to sleep. It's time to go to sleep, kids. <laughs> like, is that kind? <laughs> That's true. And I would maybe say just believing the best. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you so much, guys, for coming yeah. on the show. I have thoughts every day about not wanting to be a helicopter mom and to turn my kids into independent little beings. Like, I, I, yeah. I remember back to when we were younger and we were just responsible for a lot more at a younger age. Like, Oh, just be back when it gets dark. Just be back by dark or by dinner time. Yeah. Yeah. Or when mom yells into the neighborhood, you know, atmosphere and you sense, oh, it's dinner time. Do you I think must that eat. it was just that, that uh, our parents didn't care about us as much? No, it's not <laughs> that. It's just that I think they embrace the idea a little bit more of making their kids independent. Yeah. And I want to do that. And I love what Chris and Beth were just saying about, like they feel like their kids are mature at a younger age. And I want that for our kids too. So um, kids, you know, in the neighborhood, watch out. Our kids are going to be, you know what they call that now? What? Free range parenting. Oh, sweet mercy. <laughs> oh right. my God. I don't know if we would have free rangers. We'll get them t-shirts. Free range children. Oh, uh, hey, let's do some t-shirts. <laughs> Hey, look for an announcement about some t-shirts here coming up in the next week or so. Okay, calm down, honey. Okay, so here is the talk about it segment of the show. And now the talk about it segment of the show. Each week we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. Here's your conversation starter. Do you always have to do the voice? Yes, yes, I do. (laughs) All right, I kind of like it too. All right, so here's the... (laughs) Here's the question you talk about this week with I your spouse. I crack myself up. I know. You crack me up, too. What are you glad your parents taught you? And what do you wish they would have taught you? Ooh. I like it. And then maybe yes. we can just incorporate that into our situation. Um, All right. But anyway, next week on the show, we have Julie Briggs. And she'll be talking about how to deal with traumatized kids. So even if you don't have a huge trauma that's occurred within your kids or your family, she brings wisdom about being a student of your family and how to focus on Mm. them instead of everyone else's shoulds. Don't Mm. should all over yourself. This is a great conversation. Uh, I'll take a listen to this little, little excerpt from it. Our heart behind it was we wanted to find children who didn't have parents and be their parents. I know a lot of kids who are adopted have living birth parents. And I was selfishly praying while we were waiting for our referral, waiting to be matched. I was selfishly praying that God would match us with kids who were true orphans, who did not have living biological parents. I'm not getting into this game to try to you know, be the American savior and take kids away from a poverty stricken mother who loves them, but just can't afford to feed them. You know, that was not at all I desire. And so that's why I was praying, like, please give us kids who don't have parents, because I don't know how I can mother knowing that there's a mother on the other side of the world, wondering how her children are doing. 
If you're like me, um, you'll leave this conversation challenge to uh, judge a little bit less. Or a lot less, like me. And love a bit more. Um, True story. Well, that's it for today's show. As always, we're talking about all the hot topics from the podcast and so much more over in our free community on Facebook. So come join the conversation over at legendarymarriage.com slash community. They'll take you right into the group there. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 097. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you. Don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.